Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, folks, here we go. Another episode of the Almost Awaken podcast. If you were expecting to see Britt Hartley sit next to me, that is not the case. Britt's taking a break for the summer. Jana, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So excited to be here. Yeah, Jana is uh, collaborating with us for the summer and has been on before. Folks will remember her from the 12 conversations we had around secular Buddhism. Uh, and then you were back on for a couple of conversations about Brian McLaren's book mm -hmm. and uh, talking about faith and doubt. Uh, but yeah. Jana, I'm just super excited to, to have... Uh, chunk of opportunities here to have really cool conversations with you. So I guess what's going on in your life and maybe lead us into uh, what we're talking about today. Okay. Well, I'm just really happy to be here to have these kinds of conversations. I've always enjoyed conversations with you, Bill. Um, these are big shoes to fill. I'm a huge fan of Brit um, and just love everything that you two have brought mm. to the show. So I'm just I'm just as excited to to be part of these conversations and to to bring some people on that I really admire. Um, so our our guest today is um, someone who is a friend and a colleague. And someone that um, brings a, is bringing a really, really important conversation to how we go about our lives, our relationships, and our spirituality. Um, I, uh, you know, I have a pretty expansive view of spirituality. I, I, I have a coaching practice, and I work with people on their spiritual journeys and on their relationships. And I just think that those th two things are so incredibly intertwined. Um, in, I mean, I just think spirituality is all about how we connect to our outside world. And relationships is kind of a place where that becomes uh, really alive and really noticeable um, in how we enter those relationships. It tells us a lot about where we still need to develop spiritually, where we need to look more of it at our inner lives. So um, I wanted to uh, kind of kick off my time here with um, one of my favorite people who's doing some great work in this area. Okay. Hi. Hi, Sarah. So this is Sarah Bybee Fisk. She is a master certified coach. Um, and she has a, an, a great podcast of her own called the X Good Girl Podcast. Um, I, she's doing some really great work over there. She's having great conversations and really enlightening us on this whole idea of people pleasing. So Sarah focuses on that and all the things that surround people pleasing. I know in my own practice, Sarah, I, you know, I, I work with people, like I said, on spirituality and relationships, and this is one of the biggest issues that I see. It, I mean, I, I couldn't even hazard a guess of the percentage of people who's, who have these tendencies to, you know, bigger or 
less degree of a lesser degree, but they have these issues. <laughs> and um, I just think it's amazing that you're you're doing this work. So I want to um, first of all, I'm kind of just excited that we're having this conversation on Independence Day because I kind of I kind of look at your work as as uh, maybe paving the way for some independence from the tyranny of our lives and our programming. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if you see it the same way. I do. Yeah. So maybe just kick us off by talking a little bit about, you know, what, what brought you to this work? Why focus in on people pleasing? What, what do you, how frame the conversation of what people pleasing is from the way you work with it? Um, sure. And first of all, I'm happy to be here. So thank you. This is an, an Independence Day talk for sure. Um, this work is 100% autobiographical, meaning I found myself, and I didn't know it was people pleasing. I just thought I was being a good mom, a good wife, a good friend, a good sister, a good daughter, by constantly focusing on the needs of others and elevating their needs above my own. And so you know, you do what works until it stops working. And it stopped working right around five or six years ago when um, kids were getting older and I wanted a change of pace. I started a coaching certification and found myself in a master certification program where I was just consumed with, what do you think of me? Do you think I'm a master coach? Am I doing this right? Do you think, do you like me? Do you, do you have a problem with me? And I just, the, the, deafening nature of the thoughts of what other people thought of me. Was I good enough? Was I doing it right? Was it enough to be, you know, to, to win the, the praises or, you know, accolades, the certification that I wanted was just so loud that it actually, um, in this particular certification program, you have to do a master coach project. And I chose a project a hundred percent based on will, thinking that people would like it. Not that it would make me a master coach, but it was, are you, she's really going to like this. So this is what I'm going to do. And it failed in such a spectacular fashion. Someday I hope I can go back and find the video where I'm supposed to be reporting on this project. And you can tell that I'm just crumbling because I nobody likes it. And I can't defend it from any standpoint other than I thought you would really like this. And so... Uh, I, in that moment, it just became so clear, like, what is this? What is this constant need to know what other people think of me, to, to know that I'm pleasing them, to know that, that they think I'm doing this right. I was like, damn it, this is people pleasing and codependency and all of these other, you know, codependency, perfectionism, people pleasing. It's kind of like a, a three for one. Um, and so I changed my project to write a curriculum to stop people pleasing. And it was for myself. Mm. Like, I just thought if I'm the only one who ever does this work, I'm going to do it for me. And so that was the beginning of what I do now, which is helping women unwind themselves from the people pleasing and perfectionism and codependency that just gunks up the gears of their life. Mm, I love that. I had such a similar, I res resonate with that so hard <laughs> from my, my coaching certification as well. I had those same thoughts going through my mind. Uh, it's, it's painful. Um, I have one question. So I know you work primarily with women 
Um, and I'm curious how you see this. I mean, this is obviously not just a woman problem, right? right? right. This is this is a human problem. And I'd be really interested in how you see this with men. And I would also love Bill, being the man here, <laughs> to weigh in on how this shows up. Um, what you see. A hundred percent. I actually have a lot of men who listen to my podcast, follow me on social media, and they send me DMs like, I know I'm not a woman, but, and so I just want to talk to everyone for a second and say, people pleasing is not an option. It is encoded into the primal programming that we have. And this is how it works. A baby comes into the world. Now you either know a baby or you have a baby or you've seen one on TV. And what you know about them is they are utterly incapable of taking care of themselves. And so they develop a cry for help, literally a cry. And that cry is the first bit of information that they collect in the world. When I cry, something happens. Someone comes to me, hopefully, right? In a loving, healthy situation, they change their diaper, they feed them, they help them go to sleep. We also know from unhealthy uh, orphanages where there are way too many babies to take care of, the babies stop crying when they know that no one is coming. And so in a healthy situation, that's what we're gonna focus on for the purposes of our conversation. There is this connection made between a behavior and some kind of response. And so from the very earliest beginnings, babies learn, I do something and then I get a response. And so they become very, very attuned to what pleases the big people in their lives. Baby gets older, now baby smiles. There's this amazing video that I just did a little um, Instagram reaction to where this mom wants her baby to say mama and the baby saying dada. And so baby's going dada, dada. And she says, mama, mama. And the baby holds up his hand like, what, what do you want? And then he gets it. And then he's like, mama, and her face lights up and his face lights up. And so he's like, that's it. That's what she wanted. And then he's mama, 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 because he knows that that behavior has now been rewarded with her facial reaction. And we have to have connection and love and belonging and friendship and community. Those are not optional parts of existence, especially, I mean, I got two 20 year old boys. They're probably capable of taking full care of themselves at this point, but just ask yourself at what point is a human fully capable of taking complete care of itself? And it's well into the teens. And so what starts out as that baby watching for behavior that is rewarded becomes watching for behavior that is also punished so that we can survive. People pleasing is not optional. Yeah, it's a it's a deeply held survival technique. Yeah, when yeah. I think of this topic, I mean, and I've kind of gone through the spiel before, but there's this idea of fitting in versus belonging. And as you're pointing out, Sarah, we are when we don't quite have the groundedness, which I think takes decades and decades, if you're lucky, to be able to stand on your own two feet and say, "I'm just going to be me." Mm-hmm. Um, we are willing to sacrifice everything to fit in. And of often the people in our world, whether it's a matter of privilege differences, or sometimes it's because we get to hang around people we think are cooler than us or more interesting. Uh, maybe we, we think somebody won't love us if we're, if we're not doing what they 
what they need us to do or to be that sacrifice of ourself to, to be acceptable has us often going above and beyond behavior. You know, it's, it's one thing to be nice. It's another thing to be a people pleaser when your own needs aren't being met. And uh, I think as you're pointing out, that's certainly male and female, although I, I think patriarchy and privilege probably slants it very strongly one direction versus the other. But yeah, I think all of us on some level have struggled with people pleasing in the past. And I wanted to follow up by asking, uh, we all want to be you know, kind. We want to be good human beings in the world. We want to do good by people. Where does it, where does it change from being just a good person being nice to a dysfunctional uh, behavior? Such a great question. It the way that I define people pleasing is you are overly connected to the needs, wants, and expectations of others and under connected to yourself. Mm. And so what that produces is the feeling of not having a choice. I have to do this. I should do this for this other person or whoever else might be in the equation. So when it is not people pleasing is when you feel like you have a choice. And getting to the point and doing the work where you can connect deeply enough to yourself, if you can imagine like, you know, a, a, a scale, other people's needs and wants are way, are way more and are heavier and get more uh, weight and attention and focus. And once those scales are even and you, yours also matter just as much, then you actually have a choice. And it's, it's more, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into what it takes to build the opportunity to have a choice. But the simple answer to your question is, if I feel compelled to do it, that I, that I don't have a choice, that's people pleasing. And getting to the place where I can either do it or not do it is the goal. I love that. So, so what are the forces, Sarah, that compel us, right? Because I don't have my mom and my, you know, telling me to be nice to my husband, you know, in my house all the time. What, what becomes the mechanism? What do you recognize, you know? Oh, it's, it's all of that programming because yeah. even, even though a, a child is, is growing those formative years of programming that we have to please the big people because we, I mean, it's, it's more than just it's survival. And so if you live with big people who are dysregulated in their own emotions, like they don't know how to calm themselves down, but you learn, oh, if I, like I, I have a client who's like, my dad would come home from a really hard day at work. And if I rubbed his feet, that would kind of calm him down. I would take his shoes off and I would rub his feet and just let him talk to me about some of the frustrations of his day. And that would calm him down. And so the fawn response, it's F-A-W-N, fawn response, is fight, flight, freeze, fawn. It is a nervous system reaction designed to help us survive. And so even though a child is getting older and seems to be uh, developing brain capacity for multiplication facts and state capitals and, right, they're still very attuned to the needs of the people who they need to take care of them for a very long time. And as they grow up, there's just more people. You go to school and there's teachers and there's coaches, there's religious leaders, there's community leaders, there's friends. And so the, the reason that I, 
I, I want to say all of this is what I hope it does is allows all of us to just take a big, deep breath. Like, oh, of course, this people pleasing makes so much sense. It is hardwired into us. I don't have to be upset with myself about it anymore. I don't have to, you know, judge and criticize and belittle myself for it. It's how I got here. All three of us are here because we were excellent people pleasers. And we found a way to get people to not only take care of us, but invest in us and give us of their time and energy and money and in, 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 in a lot of ways. And so the problem is not that we people please. The problem is that we don't know how to stop when it's no longer working for us or in situations where it doesn't work for us anymore. How, how do you recognize when it doesn't work for you? Because you feel resentment, <laughs> anger, frustration, powerlessness. Like you have a whole host of negative emotions that come out of this, uh, this behavior that you don't know how to stop. Mm. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of stories about those negative emotions, don't we? <laughs> oh yeah. They're all with somebody else's fault. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they are. And we're not supposed to ever be having those emotions. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's the other part of it. If you right? are a woman, I mean, Bill made a very good point that that patriarchy, that the, the, the get out of jail free card that boys get is a um, a generosity with their behavior, a generosity with their pushing back on authority, a generosity with boy, you know, the whole boys will be boys. And while girls actually get a double dose not only there is there just the regular people pleasing, but then there's the good girl programming. A good girl is nice. A good girl doesn't make waves. A good girl doesn't make people uncomfortable. Doesn't um, doesn't value her. I mean, a, the worst thing a woman can be called is selfish, right? Mm -hmm. Actually valuing what they want, need, or expect over someone else's, and that's a totally messed up definition of selfish, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's because that that divergence in programming happens that though humans who are socialized as females have extra layers of rules that they have to obey and roles that they are forced to take on i love that yeah so that that selfishness i find is a big thing for people right like it i right. see people noticing that the people pleasing isn't working for them right yeah. But they don't know quite what to do about it. And everything they imagine just feels awful. Like, I couldn't yes. do that. That's selfish, right? So how do you work with people to embrace this idea and and uh, maybe make it clear the difference between just a selfish person with all those negative connotations and someone who just values themselves and cares for themselves and is not self-betraying all the time? Well, the first thing I do is we look at what it is producing. Like if you have a life that you don't feel like you are in charge of, that you are not fully a participant in, a lot of women and some men that I talk with are like, it's like I'm a ghost in my own life. I'm just there to serve other people. I'm just there to make things happen for other people. And so the first thing is to look at like what is actually happening for you when you people please and do you like that? Because again, that you people please is not a problem. It's that you don't know how to stop. And so my the critical thing to understand 
is that people pleasing puts us in uncomfortable situations. We say yes to things we don't want to say yes to. We take on responsibilities that are unpaid or make us work, you know, require more work than we want to give. We end up doing things that we don't want to be doing. That's a certain type of discomfort. Not people pleasing is also uncomfortable. So when you distill it all down, we're talking about two types of discomfort. The discomfort when you people please and the discomfort when you don't. And so to stop people pleasing, all you have to do, now this is simple, not easy, is learn to tolerate a different type of discomfort. The discomfort of saying, I'm sorry, I don't have time to do that. Or thanks for the invitation, but that's not something, something that I'm interested in doing. Or no, I don't want to. And so it's literally saying different words and still feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it seems like it could have the potential to last a whole lot less longer, right? Like saying no seems to deal with the discomfort in the moment of not pleasing somebody. But when we say yes and really didn't want to, that can go on for days or weeks or months or, or generations, in my marriage's case, decades, decades for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Bill, you make you 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 beat me to the punch because yeah. The, the, the discomfort of people pleasing is endless because we teach people how to treat us. The discomfort of not people pleasing might be momentarily acute because it's new, it's unfamiliar, but it's just like lifting a five pound weight at the gym. Soon, five pounds is nothing and you're ready for 10 and then 15 and then 20 and it becomes much less uncomfortable the more you do it. So you're exactly and it, right. It's like it, it's that specific, this, the flavor of that discomfort is I have to be often, not always, but in front of somebody and say it to them. And I'm going to get an, an immediate reaction that's going to remind me of when I was two years old, right? With my yes. mom trying to say the right yes. word. And that that is a special kind of thing. It seems some sometimes easier to be able to just, well, I'll just get through this thing and then I'll deal with the people pleasing somehow in another way on the back end where I don't have to be. Which we never get to, right? <laughs> which, which never happens because now people know that you're the one who's going to do it, right? And that's not bad. So the other thing that I think it's, you know, we're holding two things at once. Like number one, I am a sovereign person with wants and needs of my own that must be met, right? On the other hand, I am in relationships with other people where we want reciprocity and we want some we want give and take. And so I I acknowledge the tension between those two things, but what I do know is that you can find a way for both to happen to where I can get my needs and my expectations and my wants met and I can meet yours as well because reciprocal responsive relationships are what makes the world go round, right? Right. I'll tell you, I, I worked with a guy, when I was in Ohio, I worked for a floor covering store and one of the installers there was the opposite of a people pleaser. Everything was a no and if it didn't benefit him, he didn't do it. But I think we all sense the opposite of a people pleaser is an asshole. <laughs> so, so as long as you're not like an asshole, you have a right to like, because societies are built on uh, collaboration. Um, they are built on helping each other and, you know, the whole village to raise a child kind of thing. We all have to contribute, 
but there's a happy space somewhere in the middle where it's feeling close to or equal, right? Close to equal or equal. It doesn't need to be so slanted. No, and I would say the opposite of a people pleaser is not an asshole because okay. you can you can have boundaries and limitations in a kind and generous way. Yeah, They're, this guy and, wasn't and, kind and, and generous though. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> the, 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 the specific person you might be talking about, fine. Well, he was an ass, asshole. Asshole, <laughs> ass, asshole prevails as labeled. <laughs> exactly what you're talking about is what scares yeah. many people from even beginning to do this work because the thought That's that it. they will be perceived as an asshole yeah. or selfish or self-centered is, is enough to keep them going back to behavior that really depletes them, that doesn't serve them and doesn't serve their relationships. Because here's what happens. When you are people pleasing, you are a liar. You are not telling the truth. And the resentment that builds up against the people who you are in relationships with, that doesn't serve your relationship either. Right. And so I think it's important to just notice that it's there's hard work to do either way. Mm -hmm. There's discomfort either way, but there's only one type of discomfort that actually serves you in moving forward in honest, real, reciprocal, responsive relationships. And that's taking a look at this people pleasing and unwinding it. Yeah. yeah relationships should be mutual benef mutually beneficial to each other. And, and I also think they need to be mutually revealing, right? Like if you are not allowing people to see that you don't want something mm -hmm. or that something is hard for you or whatever, you're not really allowing yourself to be known either. Absolutely. Mm. Right. Absolutely. So um, can I, can I share a quick story? This is my, Please. this is my <laughs> favorite story. So once I started working and I was talking with people all day, um, my husband and I have a hot tub and we get in every night when it's cold. Uh, no phones. It's just us. Great time to, you know, just be together. And I found myself not wanting to talk a lot because I had talked all day to lots of different clients. And so we'd get in the hot tub and my husband is, is a philosopher at heart and has big questions. And he would say something like, so where do you think we really go after we die? And inside I was like, oh God, please no. No, I can't, I don't want to have this conversation, but I would get out a few sentences and he could tell I wasn't listening. And he began to feel some hurt about me not really listening, but pretending to be listening, right? Performing this act of conversation that I wasn't really invested in until finally I realized I'm lying. I don't want to be having these conversations after a long day of work. I want to get in the hot tub. I want to enjoy each other's company. I don't want to talk about where we go after we die. I have actually zero interest in that right now. And so having that, I felt uncomfortable, but it was also uncomfortable to have a fake conversation. And so telling him like, Hey, at the end of a long day, I don't want to have this conversation. And he said, really? Like ever? I'm like, ever. I cannot see myself ever wanting to have this. It's like, okay. I said, so if this is a conversation that's important to you, we need to find another time to have it when I have the mental capacity to actually engage as an interested person and not just a faker, because that's what I have been doing. And so it makes relationships better when people can be honest in a kind and generous way 
because then both people get their needs met. His needs weren't getting met either in that conversation and mine certainly weren't either. So all of this performing and pretending is actually just lying. And when we can own it, we can actually find a better solution that works for both people. Mm. I love that. Um, so maybe maybe we can move into some ideas about like yeah. how you work with people. How do you help them see this in their lives and approach it differently and, and tolerate the discomfort of all of this? So I teach five steps that are not a one and done, but they are a, a menu that you can draw on anytime you need. The first step I just call the pause. The pause is a made up phrase meaning you just think of it beforehand, not like you make up the words, they're just regular English, um, that you deploy in a situation where you are feeling that tug to people please, but you need a pause. So like, I would love to look at my calendar and get back to you. Or thanks so much for thinking of me. I need to think it through and let you know. Or, hey, I'll circle back with you on that. So the pause is to prevent you from saying yes in the moment. Because we're so carried away by our programming sometimes that we need an interruption. Because after you pause, then you can do step two, which I call pretend. Pretending is just, let's pretend I said yes. And let's pretend I said no. If I said yes, um, let me use an example. I have a client who was asked to sing at a cousin's wedding, a second cousin's wedding. My client has a beautiful voice. All the family knows it. And so she was asked to sing at this wedding. She paused. I would love to check my schedule. I'd like to check with my husband and kind of see if that would work for us for the day. So she goes back home. Okay. If I sing at the wedding, that means there is a two hour rehearsal on this day when I, you know, I'm going to have to learn the music. That's probably another three to four hours. There's the rehearsal. They want to have a special rehearsal. That's another two hours. So we're at like eight hours now Then I have to get up two hours early to help my husband get all the kids ready and all the gift and all so, so that I can leave. And then he's going to be in charge of kids. That means I won't be sitting with him at the wedding. So he's going to be wrangling our three kids at the wedding. So it's about nine hours of prep and not sitting with my husband. What will I be feeling? I'm going to be feeling nervous because I don't know if my kids are going to behave without two parents there. I might even be a little tired because I had to get there two hours early. Okay. Um, anything else? So that's if I say yes. If I say no, none of that time but I'm also going to be feeling some guilt and I'm going to be looking around at the wedding and wondering what other people are thinking of me. They know I was asked. I mean, I sing at every wedding. Why aren't I singing here? So on the one hand, the yes is nine hours plus some overwhelm and some fatigue. And the no is some guilt. Mm -hmm. Only when you do that kind of forecasting, can you actually arrive in the neighborhood of what the real cost is to you. And that's what we never do. That's why we get into the activity and we're so full of resentment and irritation and frustration because it's always way more than we thought it was going to be. And it makes us angry. Yeah. So after you pause, then you can actually pretend and forecast. And the most important part of that pretending is what am I, what's it going to cost and how am I going to feel? Because again, we're choosing behind, we're choosing between two types of discomfort 
no matter what. We just want to know what they are. Yeah. And it seems like if we go through that exercise, I remember Glennon Doyle once saying, I heard her say, you can't really be a yes to something unless you can be a no. Yes. Right. And so if I'm sitting and pausing and, and um, pretending and, you know, yeah. forecasting, if I'm doing those steps, I, when I do, if I, if I do say yes to that, if I decide that that is something I am willing to give of myself, um, I feel like there's, there's less resentment in it when there is a cost, right? Well, then I you can the actually be a that. yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you have a better idea of what you're actually saying yes to. Yes. The resentment creeps up most often when we feel taken advantage of, when we feel like it was more than we thought it was going to be. And yeah, do things happen? Yes. But this is a the best way I know to kind of get a, an actual cost of what it's going to take. Yeah. I, I think the pause is such a big deal. I can think of you know, right off the top of my head, I can think of three or four times in the uh, recent past where somebody asked something of me. And if I was, if push came to shove, I would have said yes in the moment, knowing that I didn't want to do it. And yeah. the pause gives me, a, it, it, I don't know, there's just this buffer. It gives me a moment to not feel like there's so much pressure on me. It gives me a moment to reflect, as you say, the, to evaluate kind of the, the cost benefit uh, and, you know, whether I can extend myself in that direction or whether that's going to cause too much harm to me or whatever. Um, the pause at the beginning, I think is absolutely crucial. And so as you're saying, like come up with some way I've, to, to kind of get yourself away from the immediate having to answer so that you can evaluate whether this is good for you or not. Absolutely. Yeah. And for, and for most people pleasers, they can do a pause, right? Saying no outright is a little too much. <laughs> and we really want to take this incrementally. And so everyone feels comfortable saying, you know what, I would love to think about that and get back to you or, Oh, mm -hmm. let me check my calendar. Thank you for letting, you know, thanks for thinking of me. And so once you have the chance to pause and then do the pretending yes. And the no, then you have a choice. Then you actually get to pick. Do I want the nine hours of getting ready for the wedding and the feeling tired and a little overwhelmed and worried about my kids? Or do I want to sit there and know on purpose that I'm going to be feeling some guilt about not having said yes? And that's when it stops being people-pleasing because you have chosen. And you can choose to sing at the wedding. That's a valid choice. And now you are just aware of what it costs. And so again, it's not like we become these people who never want to do a nice thing for anybody else again, like the installer, right? It's That's not what's happening. What's happening is we are now making an informed choice based on what we know our resources are and the relationship that we want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like that also opens up the ability to have more direct communication, right? Because I think we've all been in this place where we've been asked to do something. We don't really want to do it. We kind of, our gut knows that immediately, but we feel guilty, right? And so we start either, even if we, we don't just say yes, we'll start making excuses because we've got to make it okay for everybody that I can't do this, right? And uh, I just yeah. think all of us map each other better than that. We know when it's an excuse. 
And then now that person is worried about, oh, I shouldn't have even asked or I should like it. It's there's so much unspoken angst in these scenarios. It's, it's so it's so true. And what happens is, I mean, this is the lying that I'm talking about, because yeah. oftentimes in that justifying and explaining, we make stuff up. Right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I would love to sing at the wedding. But and then we make something up because it, we have this like validity test. Yes. And um, my family was coming into town this last uh, Christmas. My grandma had passed away and we were going to have a service for her. And my sister, wanting to save some money on flights, very valid reason, said, we'd like to come in on Christmas Day, the 25th. And instantly, Jenna, you're right. My gut was like, I don't want that. I My college kids are home. I just want our family. And so I had to pause and say, I, not, I want to think that through and get back to you. And then when I said, what if I let her come? Then, I mean, it's not bad having my sister and her family join us. It takes away from time with my own family. And so I was able to go back to her and say, I will be ready for guests on the 27th. So if you really want to come the 25th, I'm happy to help you find an Airbnb in the area or something else, but I will be ready on the 27th. And that was a hard thing for me to say. But she responded with, thank you so much for letting me know. Because again, if she would have come on the 25th, I would have been a little resentful, frustrated, um, anxious, and, and upset that I didn't get the time that I wanted. And she would have known. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so take a pause, pretend. Step three, you said. Pick. You get yeah, to pick. pick, one. pick. Do yeah. you want, which, which type of discomfort do you want? And then step four is to process those emotions with love and generosity. So mm. my, my client decided not to sing in the wedding. She chose no. And so we began to do some visualization of like, okay, imagine you're sitting in your chair at the wedding. Imagine that guilt. What does it feel like? Oh, she's like, it feels heavy in my chest. I'm feeling a little nauseous. I'm noticing myself wanting to like look around at all the others. Are they looking at me? And I was like, okay, that is what it's like practicing, experiencing that, that negative emotion. So you can get good at it. And by the time we had done that three or four times, the feeling was less intense. She had some strategies. And so the day of the wedding, did she feel guilty? Of course. And that makes a lot of sense that she would. So we don't argue with the feeling. We don't fight with it. We process it in a loving, attentive way in the concept, in, in like the context of this makes so much sense that I'm feeling guilty. Of course I'm feeling guilty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How can I then just be with myself in a loving, attentive way? So step number mm -hmm. four is to process the discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I love that. That's we do not practice that. That is something no, we of most of us are trying to get away from <laughs> yeah. as quickly and as as efficiently as well, possible. And, and the beauty. Mm. So our nervous systems think that negative emotion means that something has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of picking the emotion you want and processing it is that you can rewrite what this emotion means. I'm mm. sitting here feeling guilty because I am growing, because I am, I am more deeply connected to my own wants and needs. And that's a good thing. Of course, I'm feeling guilty. This is a major rewrite of the programming that I've grown up with. This makes so much sense. And the fact that I'm feeling it and moving forward with it anyway, 
is actually a sign of growth and progress and not that something has gone wrong and I should have said yes. And everybody's looking at me and they think I'm a terrible human for not singing at the wedding. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there, there is going to be, I think sometimes we want a win-win situation or at least a win-lose. I don't want to lose. I'll take the other thing I win. In this complex world of negotiating relationships with people and it being give and take in order for relationships to have lasting ability, we're all going to have to learn to sit with uncomfortable feelings, aren't we? Well, we're uncomfortable anyway. That's yeah. that's the thing that we miss is that people pleasers are already uncomfortable. They're right. already disappointing themselves. They're already yes. experiencing crushing you know, guilt and shame. And so all I'm doing is suggesting that they just feel those same negative emotions having said different words because yeah. it moves them in the direction of being more fully able to choose. The feeling's the same. It's just a different narrative. Yeah, okay. totally. I love it. And, and discomfort, right? It, it makes us narrow in our attention. Our focus goes to everything that can go wrong. Um, you know, we're under threat. Our bodies want to know that we're going to be able to keep ourselves safe, right? And one of the things I love that you're talking about is it gives us this chance to open up the awareness to take in more of reality, actually. That um, is exactly what the pause gets you. Yeah, right. Because you're not in that moment of like face-to-face -face <laughs> contact with the other person where they want an answer. And of course, they want you to do the thing that they're asking you to do. And so that's what the pause gets you. The chance yeah. to open up your awareness and include yourself in yeah. the equation. Okay. So what what if there's a scenario where someone does this? They've 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 practiced the discomfort. They've decided they're going to say no to somebody, right? And they say no. <laughs> and it does not go well. You mm -hmm. know, the other person does not take that well. And I find that it it's not uncommon because when people, I don't know, when we change up patterns with people, it's, it's Oh, sure. Sometimes yeah takes them by surprise, right? Yeah, the, the, the people who are benefiting from your people pleasing are not gonna like it, absolutely. Exactly, right? So being prepared that that's gonna happen, how do you help people deal with that next step of like, oh crap, like it actually did happen, this was hard, how, you know? And I would imagine that just brings up a lot of turmoil for people pleasers, like, oh, I shouldn't have done it, that was bad, that was, you know. For sure, because that's the worst case scenario, right? That other people are mad at them, that they don't like them, that they don't think they're a good person. Yeah. So I'm going to give you my favorite sentence of all time, which is okay. that makes sense. That makes mm. sense. So if I'm in a situation and somebody doesn't like my no, I would go back to, well, let me, let me say that. So if that happens, a client comes back and they're like, oh my gosh, I said no, they totally blew up. And my first question is, how does that make sense? Yeah. How does it totally make sense that they're upset with you, that they're angry with you, that they want you to do the thing? They're like, oh, it makes sense because they benefit from my people pleasing. And so when we can see how it makes sense, it brings down the drama and the emotion of the moment to factually, how is this person benefiting? How are they now put out? Like, yeah, if I say, I'm not gonna sing at the wedding, Somebody's got to do some more work to find, I was the soft target. Now they got to go out and find someone who's actually going to do this. That's more work for them. They may not know their work. They may have to pay them. I was free. 
yeah, it makes a lot of sense that they wanted the free and easy option. Mm-hmm. So if we can look at how it makes sense, then, like I said, the drama that you know takes the, takes the drama out of it and we can look at, okay, but when you made your decision to not sing at the wedding, what was the basis of that decision? Oh yeah, nine hours and overwhelm and fatigue and not sitting with my family. Do you still like those reasons? Yeah, I still really like those reasons. Or, you know what? No, I don't like those reasons anymore. Well, tell me why. And so we can still do an investigative autopsy type, you know, uh, discussion about the what happened. And sometimes your decision changes and sometimes it doesn't. But the goal is always just to know what your reasons are and to like them. Mm. Yeah, as you guys are saying that, somebody put a comment up kind of along the same lines. If people are consciously aware of people pleasers, they can change that and make a new choice. Standing up was very uncomfortable. I raised my voice because the person did not listen. I was shaking for 10 minutes. If you've established a pattern, Sarah, of being a people pleaser, it is going to take some getting used to by the people who are very used to you saying yes all the time to everything. And there may be a few moments until that regulates where you're going to have to sort of stand up for yourself and go like, I'm really sorry, but that's not what I'm doing. Yeah. And so to this person who was shaking, I would say, how does it totally make sense that you were shaking? Because this is tied to survival. And even though I am a 49 year old woman today, I have not always been a 49 year old woman. I was once a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old who really wanted to be loved and connected to. And I am still those little versions of me today as well. So it makes total sense that someone is shaking in an interaction like this. Yeah. So Sarah, what would, what would you say to a person who um, is starting to work on their people pleasing? They're starting to use these tools and, you know, maybe it's a primary relationship, you know, a family member, a a partner and um, they, this person starts to accuse you of being selfish. How, how can a person process that accusation? Because it's hitting right at the heart of some of our deepest mm-hmm. fears that is, was causing our people pleasing in the first place, right? Right. The misunderstanding that we have about selfishness is that if I pick me in a situation where the needs of two people are in competition, that that is bad and wrong. And what most women in particular or people socialized as women don't realize that the first step is just to equalize the scales where my needs matter just as much as yours. Sometimes I pick me, sometimes I pick you. We, we talk about it because in a relationship where we are responsive to one another's needs and where we take care of each other in this reciprocal cooperative way, that's what we do. And so Most people think that the leveling of my needs with yours, that's selfish. And so that's where we get that definition wrong. Again, I would just come back to how does it make sense that this person is accusing me of being selfish? They're working with this incorrect definition that if I choose myself, that that in and of itself is a standalone definition of selfishness when really what we need to do is look at the arc of a relationship or the entirety of a person and 
it makes sense because this person now feels like they are not going to get what they need. But how can we talk about it where it's not a zero sum game, where there's not only, you know, one person who gets what they need, but both people who do, because people who are socialized as women, we know what it's like to have our own needs denied over and 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 over again, and to make that virtuous, to make that um, a good thing. And so the discomfort for women is to tolerate what is it like when my needs matter just as much as yours. And of course, the other person is going to think that that's selfish. That makes a lot of sense. But that's not the, the that's not the final word. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, somebody here asking too, and again, it has to do with how the other person responds. But how do I handle the feeling to justify my choice to to do or to not do something? Do I need to explain myself when it doesn't work for me? So, any thoughts on that? We sometimes feel when this happens that we need to explain ourselves or justify why we chose ourselves over the other person's request. Uh, your thoughts there? Uh, absolutely. This is this is a, a great question. Women are programmed to justify, to explain, to provide well thought out, reasoned uh, research for why they chose the restaurant they want to go to, right? <laughs> and so I completely agree with and, and understand that this is programming, that when we want to speak up or share an opinion, most of the time, it's be, we have thought it through and we have a lot of good reasons. So first of all, just recognize that. Second of all, this is where it is a personal choice. No is a complete sentence. And some people like no, 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 thank you. I don't want to do that. Because that is consistent with what they value or who they want to be in the world. Other people value providing some context, providing some explanation, because that is consistent with who they want to be in the world and in their relationships. So I would just encourage the person who asked that question to just take a look at who do I want to be and where, what is fueling that explanation? Is it panic? Is it desperation? Is it wanting to be liked and understood? Mm. Okay, that's something to take a look at. Or mm. is this like me showing up for you in a loving way, explaining like, hey, I, I would have liked the opportunity to make this work. It just doesn't because of the other constraints I have on my time and energy. I understand this disappointing to you. It makes a lot of sense that this disappoints you. Mm. I, I love... I love that. I love having that con that contextual, um, I don't know, thought process around it, right? Because sometimes we we want to have these things like this is the right thing to do in all the situations, and if you just do it this way, you will do it right, you know. Rather than really being able to honor what is real in that in that um, that relationship, you know. I've, yeah. I've I've heard the the phrase. Uh, Never explain your your enemies. Oh, the, your friends don't need it, and your enemies won't believe you anyway, which is kind of fun and pithy, yeah. and a lot of truth to it. But there may be some friendships where actually an explanation honors being known more deeply. Well, and sometimes there is discovery in mm -hmm. in the exchange, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we learn more things about ourselves. I um, I was asked to host 
a, a holiday party and someone was invited and I didn't want this person to come. And so as I was talking with the, the an, another person who was coming about not wanting this person to come, it actually dawned on me why. I was hurt about a separate aspect of our relationship. But if I had just said, no, she's not coming or yeah, she can come, right? I would have missed out on what I understood about me in that relationship and then been able to make a better informed choice. And so I like in, well, but here's, I guess the caveat. There are some people who just get a no from me and I don't explain because they won't appreciate it. They don't want it. And it's such that they're just going to keep trying to get what they want. And I don't want to entertain that. And so I get to pick even in individual relationships, how I show up. It doesn't have to be the same for everybody because not everybody has earned the part of me that does the thoughtful work of explaining myself, providing context, finding another time when it might work or a way where both of us can get our needs met. So again, it's just really individual. And the goal is to know your reasons and to like them. I, I love that because, you know, there are those people who um, it, they're not really capable of a good faith conversation about your needs. If they are, yeah. are not willing to see or allow you to also have your needs, your explanations are just going to give them fodder to yeah. uh, argue with you and tell you why, if I can just explain away your reasons, you're going to have to do this, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. so it's knowing who, and, and we have to really pay attention in our relationships to how other people are showing up with us. And if they're, you know, I've heard you use that phrase, that reciprocal, are they reciprocal relationships? Are they interested in my well-being as much as I am interested in my well-being and theirs? Mm -hmm. And it, that is such a key, I think, to this because- there are some people that you're right. You just, you're just gonna have to say no. Cause you just, they need to be a no. <laughs> they need to be a no right. in your right. life. Yeah. Such good stuff. I am. I want to ask it. I, I think this rarely happens other than maybe the installer guy I was telling you about earlier, but do we have a fear over people going too far the other way? And if you go too far the other way, instead of being a people pleaser, you're, a request denier all the time, right? Um, is there a way to know you've gone too far? Is there a way to recognize that maybe you're not contributing to relationships? Because sometimes the people pleaser is partnered up with a uh, always requesting or always needing uh, because that person isn't willing to contribute to the relationship. Is there any, is there any fear of somebody kind of getting their own ground back and going too far? Uh, very good question. Um, so many things. Let me see if I can catch one of the 25 thoughts and start. Um, yes, I think it is very, very normal when someone stops people pleasing and perfectionating and being codependent, that it elicits responses from the people in their lives who have benefited from that. And benefiting can just even be thinking, we have a, we have a great marriage. Sarah loves to get in the hot tub and talk about where we go after we die, right? She loves that deep conversation. And when I say, actually, no, then it introduces a new idea, right? And so if we're gonna think about the journey of a people pleaser, there's going to be some fluctuation. 
I call it the Goldilocks zone where you're like too hard, too far, too much, too soft, too, and you're going back and forth between people pleasing. Cause sometimes we will still fall back into old patterns and all the way over to no, 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 no. Right. Like I deny all requests. That is normal because what we are, what we are doing is finding connection to ourselves. We're disconnecting from the people around us and connecting to ourselves for sometimes the very first time. And it's a new feeling that comes with, you know, it's, it's like learning to drive stick. You're, you're, you're getting the rhythm of the gas and the clutch and the brake and it, are there some times when the car, you know, stalls out in the intersection? Yes. Are there other times when you're going way too fast? Yes. Are there other times when all the things are happening? Yes, that's normal. And so one of the things that I love to tell people who are like, now I'm not people pleasing enough. Now people are mad at me. I'm like, well, then you're on the right track because you yeah. are figuring out where you are in all of this and to disconnect from other people is going to get a reaction and to show them the choice and the, the power that you now have to make different choices is going to get a reaction. And you are the sole decider of where you land in that experimenting. You're the only one who knows what it, what your internal experience is like and if that's what you want. And so again, we have to double down on self-connection and self-awareness and the ability to know our reasons and like them. It, it strikes me that we, as you try to do this, especially in established relationships, not just the, you know, someone who asks something of us once in a while, but in our established relationships, this requires or it invites, you know, a deeper kind of a conversation and attention than we're used to. Um, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> it to do involves, this well. Yeah. Oh, cause, cause now you're disrupting like gender roles and talking about the programming. We all get programming in our different religious communities, cultural communities, um, you know, neighborhoods, our individual families. And so it is, it's a big deal because you might be disrupting cultural roles, religious roles, gender roles. Yeah. It's, it can be a lot. Yeah, it is. It feels like that can be a lot on a nervous system. Which so. is why mm -hmm. my advice is always to start small. Mm. There are there, there are big situations that we are not being authentic in. And then there are littler situations we are not being authentic in. Like, for example, me telling my husband, I don't really want to talk about this in the hot tub. That was a littler situation. I was pretty certain he was going to understand and respond in a loving way. When I had to tell my parents that I was no longer going to be attending the same church that I had been raised in, that they were raised in, right? That was much bigger. And so I tackled hundreds of little situations, those little uh, akin to like lifting the five pound weight at the gym, right? To build up my ability to tolerate the discomfort of not people pleasing before I jumped in to what was for me, one of the hardest conversations I'd, I'd ever had, because I knew how disappointed and crushed and despondent and sad and fearful, you know, they would be. And I wanted to give myself the time to tolerate all of that so that I didn't backtrack, so that I didn't lie and minimize. 
and in any way in that conversation. And so all of us have the little things, right? Saying no to the PTO request to do the school carnival this year, right? That might be a lower, but for some people it might be higher. So only you know, but start with some things that are lower stakes before moving on to the higher stakes things. Yeah, I like that. And, and I'm wondering also if just having conversations with our partners, you know, I, I both, I see the people pleasing both in me and my husband, right? Like yeah. we both have a history of this and, um, and we've both tried to attack that in different ways at different times. And it's been really uncomfortable. I mean, I've been on the other side of it as he's trying to take more of himself back. And of course I've benefited from his people pleasing. And of course I don't like it. And you know, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here reflecting, thinking, you know, there are times when I thought, well, he turned into a complete jerk when he said no. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe I just wasn't used to it. But it seems like if we are having a, a deeper conversation, inviting our partner into the process to say, this is going to be uncomfortable for both of us. You know, let's yeah. presence this. Like, this is going to be bumpy. And you know, are we both willing to stay in the conversation and stay in the discomfort? Because yes, I can yeah. see the ways that I can be pretty rigid and it just pushes him right back into his people pleasing when really I can see how deeply it would be good for both of us if we could both continue to work on that. Yeah. If you have the situation with a person in a relationship where they are responsive, I love that idea of just saying, this is mm -hmm. something I'm working on. It's going to be a little bumpy. And then having the post experience conversation with them where you're like, how was that? Did I, when I said it this way, how did that land for you? Because if I'm in a relationship that I care about, that I want to last and that I want to grow and become deeper in terms of, of trust and reciprocity, of course I care about how that landed for you. And I'm gonna be willing to work on what I can do. For a lot of my clients, it's just prepping their partner or the person they're in a relationship with. Like, I'm about to say something that's gonna be a little uncomfortable and I just wanna prepare you for that. I'm actually not able to do that or I don't want to do this. So there's all kinds of strategies, mm -hmm. honesty, open communication, prepping, like making sure that there's some kind of physical touch or like there's lots of things we can do to lessen the bumpiness of that. But also I just want to come back to the fact that experiencing the, the discomfort of not people pleasing is actually growth mm -hmm. and increased possibilities for both people in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And increased intimacy, right? Increased yeah. under really understanding and being present with each other. Um, I, I heard someone recently, I can't remember where I heard it, but they said at every um, point of discomfort, you have the choice of being intimate or being nice. Yes. And, and maybe not both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Sometimes and, and that for those... choice, the choice of not being nice is the choice to lean in and be more vulnerable and intimate. Yeah. Go ahead. And truth and truthful and to truth. tell the truth. Yeah. Which, Which always, always leads to more alignment. Yeah, there you mm -hmm. go. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think this is all super helpful. I mean, I think most people pleasers, when they hear this this conversation, or if they're you know thinking about this from other resources and stuff, mm -hmm. it just seems like people pleasers tend to sort of know that 
they're saying yes to everything and it's not healthy for them. Don't, don't they like, it feels like it comes sort of natural to recognize that you're probably going too far in this. If you, you can kind of hear it discussed and pick out like, yep, that's me. It's true. I think there are some, some, some more covert types of people pleasing that, uh, for example, I did a, a podcast interview with someone who's like, I'm not a people pleaser, but as we dove into the way that she conducts herself online, she has an online business and she was terrified of being canceled and how she edited herself and limited herself and did not show up in her full opinion. Now, could she decide to do that on purpose for reasons that she liked? Yes, she could. But she ultimately discovered that the way that she was editing and limiting herself was from fear and from worry of what other people would think or what other people would say. And so for a lot of people, yes, people pleasing is, is um, very obvious. And for other people, not, not quite so much. The, the really interesting one that we didn't really cover a lot is, is perfectionism because perfectionists never think they're perfectionists because they think I'm not perfect. I just have to keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying until it's perfect. And that is perfectionism. But I think most of the time, I think, Bill, you're right. People know that they are people pleasing and that it's it's causing some issues in, in their life. Well, and I can see how that perfectionism really gets in the way of this work, right? Because it's messy. It's messy to do this stuff. And we want, we don't yeah. want to go the other way and become the asshole, right? It's that, that right. fear. Like I, I can't, I've got to, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it perfectly. And I've got to hit just the right note where I'm not selfish. And I'm just, yes. but I'm, but I'm perfectly standing up for myself. Like it's such a taskmaster perfectionism. And you'll never get everybody to agree that you got it perfect. That's right. You're going to be, you're, you're always going to be too harsh for some people, too lenient for others. And so triangulating for yourself, to, yes, <laughs> and trying moment. to find yourself yeah. in the opinions of all the other people is yeah. literal futility. It is. It is. Well, I can see why this is, is, um, is such a big piece of having a healthy spiritual life. I just this morning, I, I get these texts from a mindfulness teacher that I follow on Instagram. His name's Corey Mascara. Um, and he sent this one this morning. The spiritual journey is about creating an open channel for the truest expression of you to move through freely. There are lots of different definitions of spirituality that I like, but I really like that one. Yeah. That it's this creating an open channel for the truest expression of you to move through freely. And in everything that you're describing, Sarah, and talking to us, I see this piece in it, right? Yeah. It's 100%. it's opening a channel for us to be more us in the world. And and to do that with the people we want to do this life with, right? I love that so much because the most common thing I hear from the women that I work with is I don't even know who I am. Like if I'm not serving the needs of all these people, if I'm not giving, if I'm not showing up, if I'm not being the good daughter, wife, you know, all, all of those, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like. And that connection to ourselves, I mean, connection is just, is, is another word for belief, right? And so if, if, if spirituality is the practice of belief, then I think the connection to self is the most critical piece of that. Because how do you know 
who you are and what you want and what you believe without a connection to you. That's right. And how do you know that if you go through your life just responding to, um, you know, the, the pressures that are on us in that moment, rather than taking that pause and not, not just in those moments, but just taking a pause in your life to ask yourself who you are. What do I like? What do I not like? So many of us have never been asked that question. We've never asked it of ourselves, right? Yeah. 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 I think it's such great advice. I, you know, I think all of us are either people pleasers or we certainly know people who are, and uh, you can see how it wears on you. If you, if you make it sort of a pattern of behavior that you're constantly sacrificing your own well being in order to give everyone else around you what you want. And I think you helping folks today uh, take back sort of control of that and, and be responsible for their own decisions and have a, uh, a process by which they can get that pause and reevaluate and and then handle the answer and the feelings that come after in a healthy way, I think is really great. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. my it's my favorite conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been so helpful to have you here, Sarah. Is there anything else that we haven't hit on that you feel like you want to let make sure people know about this. No, I, I, I mean, I think we covered everything really thoroughly. I'll just remind people of that sentence. This makes sense. How does this make sense as a really gentle, loving place? Like, how does it make sense that you're a people pleaser? How does it make sense that these are patterns that you've been living with and acting out in for lots of decades? And so, because if we can start from generosity and graciousness for ourselves, we will make a lot a lot of progress faster. We are used to using the mechanisms of criticism and judgment to try to make ourselves make a change. And that is far less effective. In fact, it doesn't work. So don't even try. But the generosity <laughs> and graciousness of like, this makes a lot of sense is mm-hmm. where I would just invite everybody to, to, to start. I love that so much, Sarah. I, you know, as a coach, I, I um, just want to endorse that with everything I have, right? I'm a recovering uh, perfectionist myself and um, it doesn't work to, you know, we don't hate our way into mm-hmm. a new way of being and taking time to stop and say, you know, thank you to me for, and all of my mechanisms for keeping me safe and keeping me trying to, you know, advocate for my survival. Like, thank you yeah. for all of that. And noticing yes. the ways that it's, it has, it's not just benefited the people around us. It's, there are ways it's benefited us and to, to oh, absolutely. Those, right. Yeah, so that absolutely. we can just let ourselves off the hook and say, okay, how is this holding me back? And how do I then just move towards something that serves me and others in a better way? I, I love that. I love having that positive um, view of it. So anyway, this is a um, great discussion. Yeah, I, I did put the Apple, I did put the X Good Girl podcast, the link in the comments to viewers uh, during the live chat here for the podcast.apple.com. Uh, so the Apple podcast uh, link. Where are other places that folks can find your work or find your podcast that would be uh, helpful to them to build it, to locate it? Podcast is on uh, all platforms where, you know, you get your favorite podcast. I think that's the way fancy podcasters say it, right? Um, I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook, Sarah Fisk Coaching. And I have an email list where I send out, you know, kind of my best thoughts about this. And you can sign up for that using the link in the bio on my Instagram page. 
we'll link all of those in the show notes. So appreciate that very much as well. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. It's been, it's been really great to have you. Yeah, well, so I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Cool. And folks, don't uh, don't forget to subscribe or like the, the conversation so that we can continue to do these. If you want to donate, go to almostawaken.org. And Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you. Bye, everybody. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsense spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman. 